Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and I am picking up right where I left off on my last episode, episode 178. If you haven't, go ahead and give that a listen. Talking about a handful of 1A teams as well as some 2A West teams. And that is where we are going to start off here with Basalt Football, the Longhorns. And, uh, you know, talk about what happened last year. And, you know, for every team, we're going to talk about graduating seniors, returning playmakers, and then windows of win slash reasoning for the window of win, where we kind of give a range of what we expect their schedule to kind of fall in the wins and losses way. And then following that, we're going to talk about last year's 1A Northern League and, you know, kind of some of the changes that has happened to that since. So for Basalt here. You know, I predicted Basalt to be a team to keep on your radar as a playoff team, being that they could pass the ball pretty well. They had a plethora of weapons on offense. And then, you know, guys who could force turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I'd say that they delivered. Uh, they ended up finishing 7-3 and three with two wins in overtime and two wins against 3A competition in Battle Mountain and Glenwood Springs. Now, their only losses in the regular season was to Moffat County, who is a powerhouse and somebody who I'm going to be talking about next. And then they also lost to Delta 42 to 14. But I mean, other than that, they were pretty dominant. 35 to 6 against Woodland Park. That Battle Mountain game, they went into double overtime, had their way with Faith Christian 37 0, beat Glenwood Springs pretty handily. Moffat County, like I said, that was a loss before taking care of business against Cole Ridge, who I did a preview of on the last episode. Lost to Delta pretty hardcore, and then beat Rifle in overtime before finishing out league with a win. So, you know, overall in league, three and two, not too bad. And then they ran into Brush, who, if you don't recall, was the 2A state runner-up, and then lost to them in the very first round. That is a game that I predicted incorrectly, and so I will own up to that. But, you know, all the games uh, they won, they ended up scoring over 30, except for that Rifle game, where the final score was 29 to 28. But other than that, you know, they won through a bunch of offense, and, you know, they are losing a little bit of that. They had All-State, honorable mention, and second leading rusher Gavin Webb, uh, who graduated. You know, uh, he played a shortened season, but his 6.1 yards per carry uh, will be missed with the volume that he was doing it at. You know, it wasn't like two carries, 13 yards or whatever. It was a substantial amount of carries and being able to still pick up, you know, half the yards you need, a little bit more uh, for a first down on every play. And then, you know, the other All-State honorable mention on the squad was athlete Sam Sherry, who, you know, I mean, he was one of the best athletes in 2A. He was the reason that I was put onto this Basalt squad and why I was so high on them, honestly, because, I mean, he scored 13 times for Basalt, uh, you know, whether that was uh, catching the ball, running the ball, or what have you. Uh, he was just lethal there. And then on defense, he was able to force four turnovers and, you know, add 80 tackles. So, you know, physical football player, very fast, very athletic. And, you know, there's there's something to be said about the versatility that Sam Sherry brought to this Basalt team and something that they are going to very desperately miss, I would say. And it's going to be something that's a little bit hard to replace. They also lost the uh, second leading receiver in Matham, who was the leader in receptions as well. And then uh, Ryan Zhang led the team in tackles for loss with 11 and also had three sacks for a defensive line that is going to have to find a way to create more pressure this year in the past game, seeing as how they did not collect a lot of sacks last year. But, you know, they do have some pretty substantial talent that is coming back, you know, losing Sam Sherry, losing Ryan Zhang. Those guys really hurt. Obviously, Gavin Webb, who is All-State Honorable Mention, those hurt. But they still have guys who can ball. You know, uh, Cade Schneider, they are returning their quarterback who, you know, is capable of making decisions. But I think that, you know, his accuracy is what he has some problems with uh, because he just threw over 50% completion. So if he can get the ball to his targets more, um, I think that his interceptions would drop because it looks like an accuracy issue to me. Then you have lead running back Cooper Crawford, who led in carries, yards, and rushing scores uh, in a running back by committee. And, you know, that's... It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing that he may have to make up for the entire committee by himself. But I believe in Cooper here, and I think that there is a lot of potential here in this Basalt backfield. The three receivers who rounded out the top five in yards for Basalt all return and should provide Caden 
with uh, Arcade, I should say, with some consistent targets. So, you know, uh, that 5, 4, and 3 leading receiver spot, they'll all be back. So that's a good thing. Leading tackler, Trevin Beckman, uh, could break the century mark in tackles this season and uh, try and compensate for a defense that saw seven of their top 11 tacklers graduate. And then last but not least, you have in the secondary, Dylan Madden, who recorded three interceptions and uh, was, you know, in a three-way tie for first. And, uh, you know, hopefully not only can he continue to force turnovers, collect interceptions, but also be a vocal leader for this secondary that will be losing a handful of snaps, especially in the Sam Sherry department. And, you know, looking at their league this year and then coming into this next year, I'm just going to go over their schedule real quick and then talk about their window of wins and whatnot. So they open up the season against Eagle Valley. This is going to be a very interesting test of where Cade is at mentally because Eagle has a multiple hybrid front that, you know, even threw off one of our top five quarterbacks in Greg Garza last year. So, you know, you have an interesting matchup there. Then you have a 3A team in Battle Mountain that you can play at home. Then, you know, you kind of get a layup here in Roaring Fork before playing a Glenwood Springs team that I think is on the come up and a lot of people are very easy to overlook. Uh, I mean, they have just a handful of athletes over there, so you can't overlook that. You have new to the league, Grand Valley, who was a 1A team last year. Then Rifle, Moffitt, Coleridge, and Aspen. And so, you know, this season won't be any easier than last season. I think that there's a huge spotlight on Cade now uh, that everyone in the league got better. And the schedule is a bit tougher facing three 3A teams this year who also improved drastically with interesting schemes. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they go one and two in those 3A games. But I kind of am expecting a two and one record against these 3A teams. Uh, however you want to split it up. I think that winning two of those games is very possible. I think it's fantastic for strength of schedule. And, uh, you know, I think that it, it'll also build some momentum too, coming back to 2A competitions. And, you know, they have a decent range, but uh, they should they should deliver a 7-2 record. Um, and then if Cade wants to be considered an elite quarterback and be on our watch list for top five senior quarterbacks, then they need to go 0-1 and get past the first round. You know, the talent is there, uh, but this team will go as far as Cade's development has gone. And, you know, depending on how Cooper is able to pick up the slack in the backfield and this offensive line, obviously, how they are able to return and develop and grow for this upcoming season. But, you know, if they're not careful, they could end up on the short side of wins here at 5-4. Uh, and four, But I, I definitely think 7-2 and two is my expectation with maybe losses to Moffitt and then maybe Glenwood Springs is kind of my guess here for the Basalt Longhorns. Up next is the very last team in the 2A West to conclude what I started an episode ago, which may I remind you, if you're interested in seeing how the other teams in the league look, go ahead and listen to episode 178. But anyways, we're talking about the Moffitt County Bulldogs, a team that I was very high on last year and a team that you know I still think is very intriguing this year but definitely graduated some serious talent. You know, I think that last year was historic. It was the most wins in program history since their nine-win season in 04 when they were in 3A. So that's that's a little bit of history for you. And, uh, you know, through a brutal defense and a relentless rushing attack, Moffitt breezed through most of their season until they, uh, until they lost to a very dynamic Delta team. And uh, then they were upset in the first round of the playoffs by a university team that ended up making a solid run and uh, was a team that I think could have made it to state had the ball bounced a couple other ways. But, you know, in their two losses, I think that the very easy thing to point to here is that their run game did not eclipse five yards per carry as opposed to what they were normally used to uh, over the course of the season, which was just dominating through the ground. And they also could not find the end zone more than once um, for the only times well, yeah, I'm talking about the backfield. Couldn't find the red zone uh, more than once. So, you know, to address these issues, Moffitt definitely needs a quarterback that can step up and exploit stacked boxes better than they did last year. Granted, you know, their quarterback wasn't necessarily bad. Ryan Peck, you know, he, he threw 12 touchdowns, rushed for another five, had 1,200 scrimmage yards, but just shrunk when the moment got big. You see this 17 to 14 loss against Delta. That's a game where if you have a slightly better quarterback, you probably walk away with a win. Uh, University, they lost 28-14 to to one of the best quarterbacks in the entire state. 
right? So if you have somebody who can just be maybe a half step better than a game manager, then you could really, I think, make a deep push. But, uh, you know, Ryan Peck, like I said, he graduated. So we'll see who steps in under center. But I think that the biggest loss here is Ethan Hafey, who uh, racked up 12 and a half tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks with four forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries and El Partridge in a pear tree. There is nothing here that Ethan can do. Just a very aggressive player who exploited linemen, definitely could not be blocked by running backs trying to pick him up. Like he was just a force of nature on the defensive side of the ball and is someone that is going to be missed. Uh, not to mention all but three players who caught a pass last year are graduating. So that is tough. And they're also losing Carson Miller. But, uh, you know, I think that there's a younger Hafey on this team. I don't know if they're related, but I would assume. And um, that is Ethan's younger, younger brother, I am assuming, Ian, who is second in the team in sacks as only a sophomore and also collected eight and a half tackles for loss. If he could even be 75 or 80% of the player that his brother was, this defense could potentially step forward as an entire unit. But that is a question that remains to be answered. But, uh, you know, it does help that you have another Hafey to help the loss of one Hafey. Hope I'm saying that last name right, by the way. There are no question marks around class of 23 defensive back Court Murphy, who recorded five interceptions last year. And, uh, you know, if he ends up taking one or two of those to the house, I think they could be sniffing All-State potential. I mean, he already definitely was, but this is a guy who could be a second-team All-State defensive back for sure, as long as he delivers on the back end here and, you know, either replicates his production from last year or exceeds it. I think that that is very possible. Now, in addition, there's a class of 24 athlete in uh, Caleb Squires um, who, who could... You know, be the Justin Tuck to uh, Ian's JPP, having collected seven and a half tackles for loss, but played two less games than uh, Ian or Ethan on this defense. But the biggest storyline here for Moffitt, if you're familiar with him, you already know what the story is. That is running back Evan Atkin, the class of 23 tailback, who... I mean, he ran for 29 touchdowns last year, caught another three touchdowns. I'm pretty sure he led the state in rushing touchdowns per game and maybe all of Colorado in rushing scores. And, you know, he was the lead receiver also at Moffitt. And, you know, if you have to choose uh, one of three players to come back and catch some passes and try and get upfield, Evan Atkin is definitely one of them. Uh, most of those being screen passes and whatnot. But I mean, production's production, different look is a different look. And, uh, you know, I think having a dump off option of Evan makes any quarterback's job significantly easier. And so, you know, looking ahead at this schedule, it's a very interesting one. Once again, here in the 2A West, they are starting their season off against 3A Resurrection Christian. They just moved up this year and then they will follow it up with a non-league game in Steamboat. So that is on the road. Then they get to play Bayfield at home. That is a Southwest Conference league champ from last year and a potential repeat champ in the Southwest Conference. Then Rollins out of Wyoming. This is a team that I think that Moffitt should be able to take care of. And then when you come to league, you should probably go undefeated um, with the only potential loss maybe being to Basalt. But, you know, out of these, what is that? Nine games, I could very easily see this team going 9-0 and and, you know, I think that's going to be my prediction. But I will say, window of wins-wise, there is no excuse for anything less than 7-2. and two. Uh, I think that potentially you maybe lose this opening game to Resurrection Christian and maybe to Basalt. I think that that is one of the only two games. But, uh, you know, if they go below 7-2, and two, something out of the ordinary happened. But, uh, you know, these Bulldogs in the regular season are going to maul. They're going to maul a lot of different teams. Uh, through once again a very strong defense aggressive defense and a very powerful backfield and you know as deep as they run in state will determine on how well they can manage balance on offense these games that they lost last year i'm telling you less than five yards per carry and you're looking at over 30 carries okay evan atkin he already has a lot of miles on those wheels so please take some of the pressure off of him and see if you can get somebody under center who can command this offense 
and step up if you need him to with packed boxes. But that will conclude the 2A West. And, you know, last week I went from 1A to 2A, and now I start at 2A and bounce back down to 1A for the rest of this episode, more or less. But talking about the 1A North of last year. And from last year, you obviously have the up and coming program of Flatirons Academy. You know, they compete in the 1A Northern League and they will continue to do so this year. And, you know, I think that they had a very good season last year going 6-3. and three. They just narrowly missed the playoffs. It was a little unfortunate. But I think that, you know, they're a very interesting team to keep a hot an eye on, you know, they posted a winning record uh, and they either won dominantly or they had crushing losses. And I think that this could have been a playoff team. And I think that the defining game of them missing the playoffs is not the last game where it was playing you're in against Strasburg. I think it was against Highland where they lost 15 to eight. This was a one score game, obviously, and one that could have gone a couple of different ways if Highland didn't have, you know, an all time defense uh, in Highland terms. For, for them uh, holding this Flatirons offense to only eight points, right? So, you know, going through this schedule, they opened up with big wins, three of them, 27-0 uh, against Platt Canyon, who is a team that had a winning record, 46-7 uh, to against Jefferson, a team that struggled quite a bit last year, and then 35-12 to against Denver West before losing 41-7 to against Wiggins. This was a massive loss, but then they bounced back with a 14-8 to win over Estes Park. That was an offensive firepower, and then Highland, is a team that they lost to, like I said, 15 to eight before bouncing back with two big wins, 50 to eight against Prospect Ridge Academy, who's also, you know, in that uh, slightly north of Denver area. And then a win against Del Norte, 43 to 16 before a crushing loss to conclude the season, one that I actually made it out to. But, uh, you know, while I was there, there is one player that, uh, you know, there's a handful of players, I should say, that did stand out to me and names that I knew before heading to this game. But the graduating senior that really hurts to lose, I want to say, is Ashton Royball. Look, he was very athletic. He moved very well side to side on this team. Racked up a ton of tackles at that safety spot. But also racked up five interceptions, two pass deflections, and a fumble recovery. He was an absolute stud last year for this team and was the best player on their defense. I don't really have a doubt in my mind about that. And, you know, losing him on top of the 423 yards that you lose uh, running the football that he had, that's a tough loss to have. However, this team is returning a lot, well, the majority of scrimmage yards that they had last year with quarterback Nolan Shepard returning to his role here. You know, they run kind of like a speed option. So uh, Nolan does a great job of keeping himself, taking up field. And, uh, you know, as long as the lanes are there, he can split some defenders and make some moves as well. And he totaled 1,300 yards between rushing and passing and uh, ran for 15 touchdowns while also throwing for three. Uh, he does have to make some serious strides as a passer, I think, if this team wants to be taken a little bit more seriously for competing. However, you know, this is still an up-and-coming program. Uh, this is a combined program of the past few years is something that I want to mention. And they're also a program that doesn't have their own stadium. So looking at home field advantage is not... It's, it's not as big for Flatirons Academy as it is for some teams. And so that is something that definitely, I think, works against them a little bit, is that even home games don't really feel fantastic. They have to be played in the afternoon because they don't have lights, right? So that is something that you lose out on a little bit when you are faced with these situations, right? So that is something to keep in mind. And, you know, they don't really have that home field advantage. So they do have to just play very, very well in order to capture some of these wins. I also want to mention that uh, class of 23 running back uh, Glowicki returns following a season that almost saw him run for a thousand. Um, you know, he was right there. He was Nolan Shepard's running mate. Both of them averaged over a hundred a game. So, you know, had they had one more game, had they made it into the playoffs even, I think that that would have broken a thousand yards. Then you also have leading receiver uh, Michael Kingery who will be returning after averaging nearly 30 yards catch. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you do have Tucker Ryan. This is a guy who did impress me in this Strasburg loss. You know, there is not too many bright spots, but I was like, hey, Tucker Ryan, he's flying all over the field. He's making some solid tackles. He wraps up. He's very technically sound. And he moves side to side fairly well against this Strasburg team that was super athletic. But, uh, you know, sometimes the blocking 
you can't overcome the monster line that Strasburg has, and I'll talk about that more here in a bit. But, um, you know, Tucker Ryan, he could break the uh, century mark for tackles, and I think that he could also break double digits in tackles for loss this year should he take another step forward. And then Danny Rodriguez, you know, he was the leader in sacks with four and a half last year. And uh, he also tacked on another five hurries. And I think that if he can convert some more of those hurries into sacks, we could see a very solid uh, Danny Rodriguez and defense this year for Flatirons Academy. So looking ahead to this year's schedule, you know, it's, it's an interesting one. It's definitely not one that's fully built yet. Uh, currently, they have Jefferson, Denver West, the Pinnacle, Manual, who is a 2A school, Highland, and Estes Park. I'm assuming that they'll face one of the two other teams in this Northern League here. Um, whether that's Strasburg remains to be seen, but uh, no, just kind of keeping an eye on that. Um, as far as this schedule is concerned, I think that this is a 4-2 schedule pretty easily, and uh, potentially even a 5-1. I think that Estes Park is a game that probably flips this year, but, uh, you know, the coin toss is the Highland game for sure. This is a game that I think could go either way. It definitely depends on how Highland reloads. I think that Highland is a very, very well-coached team. And so not to necessarily write them off, but they are graduating a ton of talent. More on that later, so stay tuned. But, you know, Flatirons Academy, they're a school that has a handful of athletes that are returning. They do have some experience. They do have some speed. If they can stretch the field a little bit more on offense, and this is going to be a reoccurring theme, right? Can you pass the ball? Balanced teams win championships, okay? Look at last year. Cherry Creek, they're definitely, you know, a little bit on the run-heavy side, but they can stretch the field. They do have dominant three-star receivers, right? Look at 4A. Chatfield, obviously, they got through with running Wildcat all year. But what did they win the championship on? That final drive had a hook and ladder and a deep pass to a slot-like fade, basically. That wins championships. 3A. You have um, Briggs Wheatley leading that Fort Morgan squad to a state title. 2A. Walker Martin leading that team to a state title. And then I think, I want to say Holden Barron was actually voted MVP by Chassa or that committee or whatever for the 1A game. So you want to win a championship, you have to be able to throw the ball. You want to be able to make a deep run in the playoffs. You have to be able to throw the ball and be competent and efficient at it. So that is my challenge to Flatirons Academy and Nolan Shepard is to strengthen that arm a little bit. It looks like he underthrew some passes or just lacked some downfield accuracy. And I hope that that was his focus for this past year. And speaking of one of the opponents of the Bison this past year, that was the Estes Park Bobcats who, you know, kind of struggled this last year and uh one of their losses was to that Flatirons academy team one of their six losses as they doubled their losses compared to their wins i mean i'd say that they had a pretty tough schedule uh they lost in second week to ray 55 to 6 they lost to fort lupton which is a 2a school by a single point 39 to 38 not too much you could do there other than play some better defense they had brush the 2a state runner-up Flatirons academy who had a pretty good season themselves and then Tough losses to Highland and Strasburg. Two very strong 1A playoff teams, right? So I wouldn't say they lost to anyone who is necessarily bad, but I think that with some better decision-making, this team could have been pretty good. I mean, they had season-high scores of 46 against Middle Park. Like I said, 38 in that loss to Fort Lupton. 46 in a win to Roaring Fork. Uh, 66 in a win over prospect ridge academy right so they were able to score in droves and it's just a bit of a shame that that didn't lead to more wins but i do think that a handful of those losses can be attributed to the lack of balance on offense they did get punched in the face by teams who are very strong in the trenches think of ray very strong in the trenches brush very strong in the trenches strasburg very strong in the trenches highland home to you know caleb polk last year all of those teams beat them up in the front and they were the teams that ran away in those games so they got to get stronger up front and you know i think that it, it there will be a lot of turnover from this past year but there will also be some interesting returns so you know the leading passer and rusher reads he walked across the stage following a season in which he threw for essentially 2500 yards and 20 touchdowns you know but uh he also did collect nine rushing scores, but as far as passing TD to INT ratio goes, 
It was very Ryan Fitzpatrick-esque in the fact that he threw 18 interceptions to his 20 touchdowns. So, you know, throw throw a touchdown, throw a pick. Throw a touchdown, throw a pick was essentially his game this past year. And they just need to turn the ball over significantly less if they want to, you know. I think that two of these easily could have been wins with, you know, uh, more efficient play. And that's a Fort Lupton game. But I think the defense can help you out a little bit there. And that's Flatirons Academy game. And, uh, you know, with those two games, you're looking at a 5-4 and four winning record, right? But, you know, in addition to that, they are losing... Uh, well, the only receiver who graduated and caught more than a single score was Jonah Burdick. Uh, he surpassed 300 yards to the air and collected four touchdowns. So it's interesting to see how that production might be replaced. You're losing leading tackler, Christian Acosta. That hurts. He had 62 tackles and seven for loss. And he is one of the, you know... Uh, three top tacklers who will be leaving. And uh, Tevin Cox, uh, you know, he, he had two fumble recoveries. He had some good size on the line. So they are losing a little bit more up front in an area where they kind of struggle with. So that's a little bit of a concern. However, as far as returners go, talking about the defense, they have eight of their top 11 tacklers coming back. And, you know, I think that some experience will be able to fix this defense that was pretty porous sometimes. Uh, you know, Trey allowing 55, Fort Lupton allowing 39, and, you know, Highland, who wasn't really known as an offensive team, scoring 49. Th those are very porous, right? It's it's like a sieve in the sand. But, you know, hopefully some experience and a lot of juniors playing together, some built-up chemistry, they can turn that around and get some wins this year. Then, interesting, interestingly enough, the top three receivers will be returning. With two class of 24 guys, you have Jose Gonzalez, who led this team in receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns with eight, including a 99-yard receiving touchdown as his long. Then you also have fellow class of 24, Caden Smith, who caught four touchdowns on a very low volume of receptions, uh, which could inspell insane efficiency and big headaches for defensive coordinators this upcoming year. Then you also have uh, McCown, who is a se incoming senior, I should say, uh, who caught for just a little over 500 yards. And I think that he just has to find pay dirt a little bit more. It's staying up, it's shedding tackles and things like that. So, you know, Estes Park, they have a ton of returning talent. They have a very intriguing schedule this year. And there's a lot of varying, or I should say moving parts in this league, right? So scheduled, they start off the season against Wellington. This is a brand new program. Lots of question marks. This is maybe a game that I think Estes Park could sneak away with. But then they have some layups here. I think that they could beat Middle Park for the second year in a row. I think they should be able to take business, take care of business against Denver Christian. Ellicott is a team that hasn't played a football game in nearly two years. Okay. And then their league does look a little bit different this year. You know, they have Highland, Pinnacle, Manual, Sheridan, and Flatirons Academy, right? And so I think that they can win against Pinnacle. I think that they could beat Manuel this year. Manuel's graduating a lot of talent. Sheridan is a team that is still reeling a little bit. So you start adding these wins up. I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You can get to seven wins, I think, pretty realistically with Estes Park and everything they're returning as long as they get somebody under center who can do that. Um, you know, I think their only regular season losses were against, you know, some pretty good teams, but the question remains at quarterback if Reitz's younger sibling is the answer or if McCown is going to transition from wide receiver and continue throwing passes here. And I think that whichever one can help Estes Park win the turnover differential is the one to play here, the smarter quarterback. I think less interceptions is crucial to fixing Estes Park's woes from last year. You know, this is a team that could win I want to say as little as five games, but even five and four would be an improvement from last year. I could see this team going seven and two uh, with their two losses potentially to Highland and Flatirons Academy, but they played Highland um, interestingly last year. You know, I do want to point out that in the box score, a lot of these contributors for the Highland uh, football team were from seniors who graduated, right? So there's still a lot of question marks on that Husky squad that I'll address here in a second. So maybe that's one you could sneak out. And then they played Flatirons Academy close last year. And you're going to be getting a very similar-ish level of returners, right? Big time playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. 
and hopefully this is a high scoring game this last year and maybe one I should circle on my schedule. But you know, I think that Estes Park, I think the Bobcats are on the up and up and they are a team that I'm kind of excited to see and uh, watch, especially this class of 24 wide receiver in Jose, see how they ball out this year. But before they can win their league, they do have to go through a very solid team from last year, the six and four Highland Huskies who saw great success last year with their only losses being very competitive games against playoff teams. I mean, their least competitive one was Wiggins where they lost 38 to 21. That's just a tough draw to start your season off against. Then they lost to Yuma by only a touchdown and it took a tremendous Herculean performance from you hear Trejo in that game. Then they lost to Strasburg once Strasburg started to get into a rhythm for facing a first round exit to the powerhouse that was the Ray Eagles. I think that Highland is a very strong program, one that has shown consistency and adaptability from the coaching staff with whatever hand they're dealt, and one that had quite a bit of talent last year. You know, defense was the key for this squad. Uh, they tackled opponents in the backfield 51 times over the season. They also recorded 17 sacks and 21 hurries while blocking a handful of field goals. I mean, the games they won, Bennett held Bennett to six. Platt Canyon held them to six. World Central held them to 12. Flatirons Academy held them to eight. Estes Park, that was a high-scoring offense, you know, held them to 28. Prospect Ridge held them to six. The games they lost were when the opposing team, other than Estes Park, scored more than double-digit points, right? So very de defensively led, and that's a bit of a concern this year because defense being the name of the game will be tough for the Huskies, who graduate nine of their top 11 tacklers. This includes the decorated second team all-state dog in Caleb Polk, who is amongst the top in 1A football with 11 sacks, the ability to strip the ball with three forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and just a tackle for loss monster with over 17 tackles for loss. I mean, Caleb Polk was a do-it-all kind of guy for, for this Highland team. I want to say that he's a legend for this Husky program. I'm easily able to say that being as what he accomplished on the defensive side of the ball, much less on the offensive side of the ball as well this year, uh, having ran for eight touchdowns and, you know, brutalizing some teams along the way with yards per carry that could, in certain games, get as high as eight yards per carry or more. So, you know, very punishing runner and one of three running backs who is graduating. Well, actually, offensively, all of their rushing touchdowns are graduating because you have Caleb Polk, you have uh, Jean-Luc Barkley, who had three, and then you also have uh, Zach Tittle. He was the leading tackler on this team, by the way, with 91 tackles, and also a seven rushing touchdown kind of guy. So you're just losing a lot of talent here. Uh, Tristan Hedrick was second on the team with 80 tackles, and Greg Coy was second on the team in tackles for loss. So they're just losing so many snaps. Uh, second team All-Stater, uh, Haven Gonzalez, or uh, Javen Gonzalez, um, he'll be missed in the trenches after collecting five tackles for loss on defense and providing opportunities on offense for, you know, those running backs that I just listed to score all these touchdowns, right? So you're losing so much talent. Caleb Polk, he also led in receiving yards. That hurts the guy who was throwing it to him, uh, Sam Nisdil. Um, he's also graduating after leading the team in rushing and passing touchdowns with, uh, eight rushing touchdowns and, or eight passing touchdowns and seven rushing touchdowns. So I should say collectively led the team in total scores. Ouch. That is rough for this Highland Husky team. However, I have a lot of faith in this coaching staff. I think that they are, you know, built different in Alt, a unique little town, Colorado. I think that they have a very strong football culture and this coaching staff will be able to rally these uh, returning playmakers who, you know, maybe did not get as much of the spotlight, but are still very solid. Uh, you have class of 24 athlete uh, Fabrizius who got two interceptions in only five games. Uh, those coming against, I want to say the Estes Park game, which ended up being critical to them making the playoffs. So you have somebody who has that clutch DNA and uh, somebody who needs to, you know, algorithmically improve that right where you know he got two interceptions last year you hope over nine games he can at least get that up to four or five if he has six that's an all-state season and this highland defense won't take as big of a tumble backwards as what i am currently seeing uh you also get dawson fogg who is just 
massive. He's listed at six foot four, 220 pounds, according to his sophomore max preps, and looks to be the future of this defense. You know, his sophomore season, he had 35 tackles, six for loss, and three sacks. He's just a massive combination of size and strength. And, you know, he's also pretty athletic as well. He's probably going to be one of their, uh, I'd say, coin tosses for an all-state selection. Now, looking ahead to this year, they they still have some challenges ahead of them, honestly. This is a team that starts off against Ray, who, if you didn't listen to my preview, go ahead and listen to episode 178 once again. But they are going to be one of the powerhouses of 1A football, returning a lot of talent. Then they get a little bit of a break here against Wellington. I think that that's a game that they probably should win against a brand new program. Then they face Kent Denver. I think that, you know, it depends on what the new coaching staff at Kent Denver looks like, but they're also graduating a lot of talent. So if I'm taking, you know, history versus history, I probably lean towards Highland here. Then they face 2A school Greeley, which while they did graduate or university in Greeley, my bad, who while they did graduate a ton of talent this past year, uh, they, I still really like their offense. I got to see some of their seven on seven work at the Bronco 77. I think that they still are able to sling it around the yard and also have some decent power at uh, running back to look out for. So probably a loss here to 2A team. I'm going to skip this Estes Park game and talk about a win in Sheridan. They should beat the Pinnacle and they should beat Manual, right? So currently looking at it, lost to Ray, two wins here, lost to University, then collecting three more league wins. You're talking five wins and two losses. Now this Estes Park and Flatirons Academy game, this is what makes the Northern League so interesting, right? These could be a toss-up. I am going to probably give Estes Park the edge because of the returners that they have to go five and three. And then, you know, I probably also like Flatirons Academy, at least off of what I see. You know, they're returning important pieces at the score positions, right? Which currently lands them at a five and four record. However, I think their window of wins is as high as seven. I think they could sweep in league and once again, return to the playoffs as long as, you know, they find a lot of guys who can replace all those snaps on defense. And, you know, scheduling that first game against Ray, I think will be really good for a film session. And as far as, you know, assessing where they are at as a team, what their youth looks like, maybe some adjustments that they might need to make and just give them an opportunity to be more competitive down the line once they do eventually make it to their league play. But Highland, they are just unfortunately losing a ton of talent this year. And it's just so hard to overlook that in all honesty. But, uh, you know, they do have an incredible coaching staff and I do wish them the best and I want them to prove me wrong. But, uh, you know, currently I'd say window of wins between five to seven, five to seven. Now, this is a team who was in the 1A Northern last year. They won't be there this year. And that is Prospect Ridge Academy. Last year, bit of a struggle, you know, for a program that I think is still trying to kind of find its footing after five years. Uh, Prospect Ridge, they have gone back and forth between 1A and 2A, and I believe that their schedule reflects that pretty accurately. You know, facing uh, Faith Christian, Manuel last year, Sheridan, then Banning Lewis Academy being 1A, then The Academy back up to 2A, Strasburg 1A, Flatirons 1A, Highland 1A, Estes Park 1A. So this schedule, I want to say, is almost split uh, 50 50 over well it's nine games so faith christian 2a manual 2a sheridan 2a the academy 2a so 1a games just having a slight edge over that and you know they experienced some pretty tough some tough breaks for sure over this past year and i think that this year they're playing in 2a and we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes they do you know graduate some seniors for better or for worse uh, their leading scorer on offense, uh, Tyler Beveridge. I, if I'm saying that wrong, just let me know. But he's graduating. He found Pater 10 times through the air and ground combined last year. However, he was a little bit of a turnover machine throwing 11 interceptions. So uh, we'll see who's next under center. They're also losing leading rusher Andrew uh, Blanchett, uh, who amassed 251 yards. Three of the four leading receivers, including Hunter Love, are graduating. And the offense is turning over, but that might not be a bad thing. Um on defense, they do lose Ryan Hammond, who is a force in the backfield and was also their leading tackler. And, you know, also their tackle for loss leader, uh, Castro, and sack leader with five and a half will also be graduating. But the fact that their offense is graduating so many might be a blessing in disguise. Last year, this offense 
had 31 giveaways, including 20, 20 lost fumbles. <sighs> I hope that the JV team was putting in work and the freshman coaches were putting in work because you got to reload and you got to bounce back. Uh, this is a program that has not been very successful up until this point. It's very competitive area, talent-wise. Uh, you obviously have to compete against Broomfield High School itself, uh, which is a perennial powerhouse. You also have other fellow surrounding areas, such as Flatirons Academy being, you know, in Westminster. So that may pull some people out of Broomfield. Uh, Brighton isn't too far away. So, you know, there's a handful of talented teams in Broomfield. So that makes the talent pool a little hard to get through. But you got to play the hand that you're dealt and you've got to get these kids up to speed. And, you know, I think that there's a ton of potential here. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you have Chase Schaefer, who is second on the team with four and a half sacks. And then, you know, Leroy also had four sacks and, you know, could maybe be a running mate for Chase Schaefer. You get these two guys going, boom, get a pass rush right there. Uh, Alik Hrivnak, uh, um, he forced five turnovers last year with four interceptions and a fumble recovery. Get this guy leading the secondary. Get people to play up to his level, right? Uh, Torin Bennett, you know, he was a sophomore last year and he was second on the team in rushing yards. He averaged, I want to say, four yards per carry. So he's got to work on his vision. He's got to be able to make something out of nothing sometimes if the line gets blown back. And, you know, last but not least, you have uh, Chase Knopf, who took very, very limited snaps at quarterback. However, he threw one touchdown to no interceptions. We'll take promise anywhere we can get it here at Prospect Ridge Academy. This is still a team that I think is waiting to make a playoff berth for the first time in its history. And they're being dealt a somewhot tough hand in this, you know, uh, 2A Colorado League. They have a very interesting schedule. And, you know, I think that they need Chase Knopf to be generational. And they need Torrin Bennett to be five times better than the last running back. And it would still be a tough season. They open up against Arvada, a team that went three and six last year in 2A. They open up following that against Faith Christian. This is a team that is graduating a decent amount of talent, including the leading tackler, Cody Connor. Then they face brand new Tim Nath in, in 2A, you know, brand new football program. That's one that we're looking into. Then they face Manitou Springs. This is a team that is a little bit hard of fielding a football team at all times. But then they face a 1A playoff team last year in Bennett. Brand new kid on the block, Wellington as well, who is in their league. Then Valley, who, you know, last year had a pretty solid defense. De Evelyn, who has a monster in that front seven. And then Platte Valley. Um, look, this league is wide open. However, I don't know if that means that it's open for Prospect Ridge Academy. I think that if they're not careful, don't overlook Tim Nath. Don't overlook Wellington. Do not overlook them. I think that they have decent talent pools around them. And if you overlook them too hard, you could end up with zero wins. But I think that they're pretty legit at winning with uh, three or four, uh, despite the big question marks that they have. I think that they did a good job of scheduling something that's within their range. And, you know, if you build some confidence, if you win three games this year, hopefully these sophomores will be able to really take a step forward as seniors, you know, because this will be their junior year. And I think that this is a schedule that if you go four and five, you can be very, very happy about that and start eyeballing playoffs next year. But you need your front line to create holes and get a push. You need that sophomore, well, incoming junior running back, I should say, to take massive strides. And you need this quarterback to be efficient. You need him to not turn the ball over eight times, fumbling it and throwing 11 interceptions, right? Just play smarter football and you will win a handful of more games. But finally, talking about the 1A Northern champ of last year and now the 1A Foothills football team are the Strasburg boys out there. We love our guys out there and all the support that they throw our way. But uh, I am going to be very real talking about last year and the things that need to happen because this is a team that, you know, they're not satisfied with playoffs. This is a historic program with a lot of legacy on the line. This is a team that has been very competitive for a very long time and is still just itching to get that state championship. All right. But <clears throat> let's take it back to last year where they went six and four. And, you know, there, there was a moment in time where I said it's do or die for this Strasburg team following a one in three hole that they found themselves in following a loss to Platte Valley following a win to Yuma and then following back-to-back -back losses to Lyman and Centauri 
and an injury to their at the time starting quarterback right so this is a really rough stretch of games this was you know desperate times and they called for desperate measures and it was like well what are you boys made of and they showed the world as they proceeded to run the table and win five games to make the playoffs and win league 42 to nothing against bennett playoff team highland 19 to 7 Prospect Ridge, 67-0. S Spark, 49-8. And then finally, the cherry on top, the 42-0 win against Flatirons Academy that resulted in them having a 6-3 regular season record. And during that, you know, uh, five-game win streak, their point differential was 219-15. They were just absurd. And I think that Strasburg has a very, they're in a very interesting tier of 1A football where, you know, you have the linemen, that's probably in that like S tier, right? And then, you know, depending on the year, you have that Ray and that Florence kind of in that A tier. And, you know, in the B tier has been Strasburg. I mean, obviously a couple of years ago, they were in the state championship. They have sat, had some incredible talents. And, you know, Tristan Wirfs was one of uh, the best players that we got to dissect as well. So you have a very interesting history, right? But what do they need to do from being in the B tier this year to being in that S tier, being in to that elite history, right? Because they then lost the rematch to Yuma 35 to 20 in the playoffs, right? So they finished six and four. They do have some interesting seniors who are graduating. You have uh, Talon Hall who led the team in receptions, yards, and amassed nearly 500 yards from scrimmage. Eight of their top 12 tacklers are graduating, which hurts. Um, And that includes, you know, not only tackle leader, but emotional, physical, and vocal leader, Matthias Brown, who just provided sparks for this defense, was very physical, would make hits that would get the entire team excited, forced fumbles, just was cracking eggs and skulls out there. So, you know, losing Matthias Brown definitely hurts. Wilson Ames, who was second in tackles, he was the sack leader, and almost double everyone else in tackles for loss graduated. And, you know, the top three players who... Uh, finished for tackles for loss and Ames, Brown, and Krause all graduated this past spring. And they're also losing snaps on the offensive line with uh, some of these guys as well. And then lastly, they are losing uh, Bryce uh, Mestas Miller, who had two picks in the secondary and is graduating. So they're losing some pretty serious talent in the defensive backfield. However, they do have some serious talent coming back as well. You have the interception leader, Hayden Turner, will be returning uh, Bergstrom as well in that defensive backfield who had two picks. You also have, you know, a pair of Zachs who are looking to step up on this defense and Zach Rushman and Zach Marrero, who were third and fourth on the team in tackles respectively. And Rushman, who also led the team in fumble recoveries, right? So you have a stud here in Zach Rushman on the defensive side of the ball, as well as Zach Marrero. But Marrero is not only solid defensively, but he is a star on offense and a force. He had over a thousand yards last season. He ran with a great deal of intensity while having the speed to rip off some serious long long runs. And, you know, this offense during this five game win streak ran through Zach for sure. And, you know, I think that more things open up depending on where the passing game is. Uh, The competition at quarterback, I'm pretty sure that Landon Martin who was a sophomore last year, he got hurt. It should be his job, I would say, coming into the season as long as he's healthy. But uh, Caleb Hart is an incredible athlete who you know stepped up big time for this team during this big win streak to lead them to the playoffs and um, you know provided them a solid dose of athleticism. I think that you know in the defensive backfield, he's going to be a threat this year as he had pass fa- uh, five pass deflections. And if he converts some of those into interceptions this year, that'll help, you know, um, this secondary probably take a massive step forward. And then offensively, I think that he's more dangerous if you can hand him the ball off on jet sweeps or out of the backfield tosses, screens, bubble screens, uh, tunnel screens, anything like that you could do with him. There's a lot of different ways you could use Caleb Hart because he is very fast. He's super athletic and opens up a lot of possibilities for this team. Thomas Devlin is very strong guy in the backfield who can be a fullback kind of role he can be a power back kind of role and so you know these guys can all give you a bunch of different looks in this offensive backfield and i think that the most intriguing prospect here is junior quarterback landon martin whose season was cut short you know he has a ton of upside i've seen him throw he can make decisions 
but he's got to improve his anticipation and reading of the defense to be a quarterback that can take this team deep into the playoffs. Granted, what I did see was against a very, very talented 4-5A defense at Pine Creek in the Broncos 7-on-7. 7-on-7 is obviously very different, but he was just seeing things way too slow. The game was moving very fast for him, and you know, I think that defensively, maybe you won't see a unit that is as loaded as that Pine Creek defense that is consistently talented and very well coached. However, you are going to go against some serious defensive talent in your own league, in non-league games that is going to test you. And so looking ahead to that, let's go ahead and dissect this Strasburg schedule here in the fact that now they're in 1A Foothills, but I mean, their very first game's against Holyoke, right? This is a team that was a threat on defense last year. They have a very good secondary. I talked about that in the last episode who can force a lot of turnovers. They had a ton of pass deflections. So this Holyoke team is going to test you. This Wiggins team, Cole Kerr is an incredible athlete on both sides of the ball who can make interceptions as well as Omar Perez, right? Lyman, this team is going to get pressure. They are going to get in your face. Are you going to make the correct decision? Are you going to be able to escape the pocket? Can you maneuver the pocket, right? So this three-game stretch to start is probably one of the toughest three-game stretches of any schedule uh, relative to their conference, right? Following that, they face Bennett, who they did take care of business with last year before facing, you know, Clear Creek, Denver Christian, Middle Park, Jefferson, and Platte Canyon. I think that this is a very interesting schedule, but one that should result in a winning record. You know, um, this team, you know, they had a turnover differential of plus four, which is good, but not great. And for a program that has a rich tradition, wants to compete now, they have got to increase that. They got to turn the ball over less and they got to force more turnovers. And, you know, I think that it's a very balanced schedule that has very competitive games, challenging games, but also its share of cakewalks. I'm projecting a 7-2 record for Strasburg. Uh, the same thing that I said for Holyoke what, was that this opening game will be very indicative of how the rest of the season could probably go. But then they have two really tough games against Wiggins and Lyman. I think that they drop those two before, once again, going on a win streak to close the season. Um, the upside is 8-1 and one if they can split the Lyman or Wiggins games, if they're careful. But uh, if they're not careful, they could end up needing some help if they drop the game to Holyoke in the beginning and if they end up losing to Platte Canyon at the end of the season, who did finish with a winning record last year, right? So low side, window of wins, five high side window of wins, unlikely. High side window wins 8-1, my projected record 7-2. But that is a wow of 5-8 for Strasburg. Definitely a team that should be in the mix this year. And then we're going to take a little bit of a curveball to conclude this episode. Talking about a former Northwest team in Steamboat Springs. You've already heard me kind of talk about them through other teams' schedules. But I am going to dive into last season, talk about some things that went well, some things that could have gone better, and then conclude with their projection, obviously. So last year, six and four, pretty pretty strong showing. But uh, you know, in league, they went two and three and finished fourth in the three A Central West. Now this is a team that is going to be going into a kind of change up here, obviously heading towards two A football. But, uh, I mean, they played pretty well, I want to say, against 2A talent, uh, beating Valley last year, 28-15, Middle Park, 27-7, Coleridge, 24-6, Aspen, 20-17. I want to say that those were all the 2A teams that they played. So they played a handful of 2A teams, but, you know, also lost to Moffitt County, 50-0. And then, you know, their 3A schedule in league, they started off 2-0 before fumbling to Palisade, Battle Mountain, and Summit. And in those games, you know, against Palisade, their run game disappeared. Six rushes for nine yards? Good lord. And then their turnovers in Battle Mountain, four interceptions? Just absolutely bonkers. And then they just couldn't keep up against a Frisco team with a talented QB. And, you know, that's a little bit of a concern that they have to score a lot of points in order to win. I mean, you look at their wins, they scored 28, 27, 24, 20, 31, and 28. So, you know, they have to score a lot and they're going to win. And two of those games are one-point wins and one of those games is a three-point win. So, you know, they were played very competitively this past year, and they are losing the guy under center, Jake Hamrick, um, you know, who was a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde with uh, a handful of interceptions. But, I mean, he was still cumulatively responsible for 18 touchdowns, capable of providing big shots, uh, threw 15, ran for three, and still had a positive TD to INT ratio, right? So, you know, 
You had somebody who could make plays there under center. Uh, half of all of their touchdown receptions will be lost with uh, Cody Mousley, Ben Bogan, and Ben Schott all graduating. And uh, not only was ben, Big Ben Bogan a uh, big playmaker on the offense catching touchdowns, but he was the guy on defense uh, with 118 tackles, having almost doubled the next guy in line and posting 89 solo tackles, which was one of the best in the state, period. Uh, he was incredible, and that's why he was an All-State honorable mention, so you're losing him. And then uh, Cody Mousley, you know, he also made receptions and deflections on the defensive side of the ball with three picks and ten pass deflections. So you're losing some serious playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. I think that is a major concern for me. They're also losing, I want to say, seven of their top 11 tacklers. So their defense is going through a massive overhaul. And this was a defense that allowed a lot of points last year, you know. I mean, in the... In the small win over Eagle Valley, Valley still scored 30. In the narrow win over Glenwood Springs, they still scored 27. Palisade put up over 60 on these guys. Like, yeesh. And you're losing the experience, and you have to try and replace, you know, that chemistry that wasn't necessarily there. That could be a bit of a challenge. Not to mention that your offense has to score, and you don't know what exactly you have in your quarterback in a varsity setting, right? So, but what you do know is that you have some excellent pass catchers that will make the quarterback's life easier. You have Cade Gideon, who's built for football at 6'3", 185 pounds, can go up, make some tough catches there, and provide an easy target for the quarterback. You also have class of 24 receiver Beck Vanderbosch, who returns to the fold following a sophomore season that saw him post 458 yards. So you have two great targets who are returning. Uh, granted, they struggled finding pay dirt, but you know they, they'll find more with more opportunities is probably the thought there. Brady Grove will also be returning. He was the leading rusher and, you know, should provide some stability. So you have a good surrounding cast around this quarterback. And, you know, hopefully that makes his job easier. But I think defensively, I mean, you have Austin Moore coming back who led the team in interceptions or was tied and was second in the team in tackles. But he's going to have to play out of his rocker to make up for some of the losses that this team has seen. Uh, this season will be a changeup from last season in a variety of ways. Um, including the fact that they're playing 2A football more often. But I think that, you know, they still kind of struggled against a handful of 2A teams last year. And so I wouldn't give them the league crown yet. And they're playing in an insane league. I mean, you start off the season against Cole Ridge. This is a very winnable football game, but then followed up with Moffat County, who, like I described earlier, is a powerhouse. Then you have Middle Park, that's a winnable game. But then you face Aspen, who, you know, in the last episode, I did say that Aspen was probably going to take this game with the returners that they have, okay? So that puts you at 2-2, two and two, heading into league play. And the first two teams you play in league are probably losses in Eaton, who's the 2A defending state champs, who is returning a lot of talent, and the Academy, who is returning Isaiah Elliott, who is one of the most dynamic playmakers in all football last year. So you could be staring at a 2-4 and four hole heading into the last three games of the season. However, these last three games, arguably fairly winnable. You have Faith Christian, Fort Lupton, and Berthoud here. And so, you know, I say that that puts the Sailors at a wow of three to five. I think that four and five or five and four is fairly comprehensible, seeing as how they probably go two and one in this final three game stretch. But, you know, on the upside, if they win all three of these games and they go five and four and just narrowly miss the playoffs, I think that that's a success. I know that. You know, that kind of puts you in the exact same spot as last season. However, that shows that you're able to adapt, get these younger players up to speed, get a lot of snaps for some of these sophomore guys, and potentially provide some opportunities and some hope for the future of this program. And, you know, probably be able to get your bearings set a little bit better competing on this 2A level, uh, especially with the offensive playmakers that you have uh, who can catch the ball and make the quarterback's job easier. So just find somebody who can throw it up and make the right decision, and uh, you'll be all right. I think you could leave this with a winning season. And with that being said, I am going to close this episode up a little bit short. You know, after talking about, shoot, I want to say eight teams. Typically, we will be doing 10 teams, but I will have a longer episode next week. We just have some hectic stuff uh, going on in my personal life. Wish me luck with those things. But... Anyways, you'll be hearing from me next week. And on Friday, you'll be hearing from Mason Austin. And on Mondays, you'll be hearing from Simon Villanos. Stay tuned to all of our latest updates on social media. You can find us at Playmaker Corner on Twitter, where we 
retweet all kinds of athlete stuff as well as our own stuff. On Instagram, we post episode covers. This also goes to Facebook. You can find both of us on, find us on both Playmakers Corner. We're also on TikTok posting preview talks for all of these squads. So go ahead and find us on all of those. Follow us on YouTube as well and stay tuned for Twitch streams. I have been your host, Cody Stoffer, and peace.